Oh, do you know what, church? Thank you for the invitation to come back. I loved being here last time, and um, I never, ever take the opening of the Word of God flippantly, and so I've prayed, I've um, studied, and um, yeah, I'm just really glad to be here. I want to take us to Luke's Gospel, chapter 5 this morning, to the account of a brother who was tired after a night's work. Now, I speak to a lot of people um, day to day, and these last few years have just left us tired somehow, and um, it's that kind of tiredness that um, a week in the sun doesn't quite fix. It's that kind of tiredness that isn't physical. Um, It's slightly emotional. It, It can be spiritual, but some of us just feel really tired, and we're heading into the fourth week now of January. Can you believe it? Um, and, you know, Christmas is just like a, a blink away, and yet it feels like years away. And um, the new year, you know, that just, just feels like decades ago. But we're going to hear the account of a brother, as I said, who was tired. He'd been out all night fishing on the Sea of Galilee. And An account, I hope, that will remind us that Jesus can meet us even in our weariness and do something really transformational, long-lasting, eternal in our lives. Other than Jesus, of course, (laughs) the main protagonist in this account is a man called Simon. Now, Jesus and Simon, they'd already met, okay? So, in fact, Jesus had healed Simon's mother-in-law from a high fever at Simon's home in Capernaum. You can read about that in Luke chapter 4, the, the chapter before where we're going this morning. So Simon and Jesus were already acquainted. Simon and some of his mates, some other fishermen, had been out all night, and they hadn't caught a thing. I imagine they were exhausted. They were probably ready for bread or a, a bacon butty. Not literally. No, no, no. <laughs> No, no, no. But there they were washing their nets, fixing their nets, ready to go out onto the water some other time. Let me read the account to you. This is the word of God. Luke 5, verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught people from the boat. And so Luke presents us with this beautiful picture of people crowding around Jesus, really pressing in around Jesus to hear the word of God. And I think that's such a beautiful posture to adopt when we've come to hear the word of God, that sense of leaning in, of listening attentively, of wanting to hear the revelations coming for us. But Luke doesn't record what Jesus was preaching on. There was actually a far more monumental lesson to be learned from the event. Despite the crowds, Jesus sees two boats at the water's edge and he clocks the fishermen there washing their nets. And so he gets into the boat belonging to Simon and asks him to put out a little from the shore so that he could teach from the boat. 
Now, you and I might think this is a slightly strange pulpit for Jesus to preach from, but hey, wherever people will listen, right? It doesn't matter what we use as our pulpit, really, as long as we're there carrying the presence of the Lord and actually being his mouthpiece. This is my fifth year now in Cardiff, having moved from um, North Wales, um, which is where um, God loves the most. Um, <laughs> you'd agree if you've been there. But you know, when I moved to Cardiff, um, I had, you know, contacts, I guess, from um, churches, Christians that I knew, and they were incredibly kind, don't get me wrong, but I needed to find some friends. And um, I was renting um, over in Roth, and, you know, where does a person go to find some friends? And there was a coffee shop just across the road, and genuinely, those baristas became my first friends in Cardiff. I am a bit of a coffee addict. If anybody of you um, follows my <laughs> Facebook page, you'll know that I love a good coffee. And so it was no hardship for me to visit them, most days, and um, buy myself a skinny latte. But genuinely, as I said, even throughout lockdown, those are my first friends in Cardiff. That was my pulpit. And even yesterday, I popped over to see them. Oh, how are you doing, Sean? And we know each other by name. And what's going on in your world? What's going on in yours? Or why are you back in Roth today? Blah, 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 blah. They were my first friends. That was my pulpit, my first pulpit in Cardiff. I wonder where your pulpit is. Where are your pulpits? I wonder if you've even identified or thought about that before. Where's your missional community? Who do you invest in for the sake of the gospel? You know, Simon was a fisherman, and Jesus just so happened to enter his place of work. We live in a society, don't we, that knows nothing or very, very little about the true person of Jesus and what he came to earth to accomplish. So for Jesus, the boat became an instrument for evangelism. What might you and I use in order to tell others about Jesus? A coffee shop? A gym? You won't find me there, but <laughs> you might go there. The school gate? Your workplace? Your family? I wonder if Simon knew what a privilege it was that the Lord chose to preach from his boat. But again, the preach wasn't the focus of this account. So let's read on verses 4 and 5 of Luke 5. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught a thing. But because you say so, I will let down the net. I often think when I'm reading this passage, I wonder how long Jesus used to preach for. I mean, was he a short three-pointer like we like? Or was he a bit more of a Pentecostal and he preached for hours? I don't know. Regardless of how long he spoke for, I think Jesus would have wanted to bless Simon for lending his boat to him. And so at the end of his talk, he says to Simon, put out into deep water. 
Now, deep waters, we've already sung about the storm this morning, and, you know, they speak to me of really troubled times sometimes. You know, it's, a, it's an act of trust, actually, to swim in deep waters where you can't place your feet on the ground, where you're forced to actually allow the water to take your weight. I wonder how deep you and I would be willing to go in our relationship with Jesus. I wonder what you're trusting Jesus for this year. Perhaps it's the salvation of a friend or a family member. Maybe you're trusting him for healing or restoration, or maybe you are trusting him for provision for your finances. But whatever you're trusting him for, let me encourage you, don't be afraid to go deep with Jesus. That's the safest place you could find yourself. You see, without Simon's obedience, there would have been no catch. But you can tell from verse 5 that Simon wasn't exactly brimming with faith. He was done. He was done for the day. In fact, he was already washing his nets. And so he reminds the Lord, politely, that they've already been out all night and they hadn't caught a thing. But you see, for Simon, it's simply that Jesus said, And so he obeyed. Jesus said, and so he obeyed. That same spiritual principle holds fast for us today. Jesus speaks, we obey. Jesus whispers, we obey. Sometimes he needs to shout and we still need to obey. But when Jesus speaks, we listen and we act. As we'll see later in this account, there is always blessing on the other side of our obedience. The one thing Simon already knew how to do in life was to fish. If anyone knew that this was the wrong time to go out fishing again, it was Simon. And yet Jesus asked him to go again. Now, some of us might feel exhausted, a little bit bruised, a little bit beaten up by the circumstances of the last few years. But you know, maybe Jesus is asking you again this morning, will you go again for me? Will you go again for me? Perhaps you're weary or disappointed, maybe fed up, or just lacking some headspace after the years of persistent change and uncertainty. But I sense Jesus is asking us again today, will you go again for me? As I said, I don't think Simon's expectations were particularly high in terms of coming back with a catch. In the natural, you had a carpenter, Jesus, with little experience of the seas, asking an experienced fisherman to go back out. But Simon went regardless. You see, Jesus spoke. Simon obeyed. Is that the same for us? When Jesus speaks, do we go again? But Jesus was about to model something of the supernatural, which often happens on the other side of our obedience. I think sometimes we can use the, oh, I'm not sure if I've got the faith for it, excuse, (laughs) rather than simply hearing and obeying God when he speaks. I don't want to be somebody whose arm God needs to twist before I obey. I want to be more like Simon, who just hears and does. Let's read on. 
We're going to go to verse 6 and 7 this time. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now this is one of my favorite parts of the account. Boom! (laughs) Having done what they've been asked, the nets suddenly fill up with fish. But allow me to let you in on what I love the most here. You see, Simon could have simply rowed back to the shore, offloaded the fish, gone back out again, got another load, etc., etc., etc. But that's not what he does, is it? What does he do? He signals to his mates in the other boat to come and help him. In other words, come and share in the miracle. Come and celebrate success with me. I reckon that the occupants of both boats were probably partners. They were probably mates before this event took place. So Simon simply signals and says, come and enjoy this moment with me. I've got um, far too many books on my bookshelves. In fact, some of my friends say that I've got the National Library of Pontypridd in my house. But I had this book given to me last year, and it's a collation of many well-known women who have done incredible things with their lives. It's an absolutely brilliant book. But I never remember what the title is. It's the subtitle that's really gripped me. It's this, We Rise by Elevating Others. We Rise by Elevating Others. What a beautiful heart attitude to possess. I reckon Simon had something of that same attitude when he beckoned his friends over, come and enjoy this miracle with me. Now, of course, the Bible puts it even better (laughs) than we rise by elevating others. Psalm 133 says it like this, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil, poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down the collar of his robe. It's as though the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Where there's unity, we know God commands a blessing. Oh, to be people who don't cling to our own successes or blessings or miracles, but are willing to share them with others. The thing is, we actually have to partner with other people to get this job done. No one person other than Jesus himself is capable of transforming Whitchurch. No one person other than Jesus is ever going to change Cardiff, Wales, Europe, the world. No one person is going to see a nation saved. This is going to be a partnership piece between us, collectively, God's people, and our Heavenly Father. We need to partner. Which brings me to my last point. With whom will you partner? With whom will you partner? Ah, but the other boat doesn't look the same as ours. 
They're a bit weird in that boat. We're all a bit weird. Fish are stinky in that boat. With whom will you partner? Just for some variation, let me read um, verses 8 to 10 to you from the message version of the Bible. Simon Peter, when he saw it, that's the catch, he fell to his knees before Jesus. Master, leave. I'm a sinner and I can't handle this holiness. Leave me to myself. When they pulled in that catch of fish, or overwhelmed Simon and everyone with him. It was the same with James and John, Zebedee's sons, co-workers with Simon. Simon immediately knew that the catch was supernatural and not a result of anything that he'd done. He would also have connected that supernatural catch with the supernatural healing of his mother-in-law. Do you remember me telling you that at the start? But he just couldn't handle how good God is. That's why it was important to linger just earlier. We need to recapture that sense of awe and wonder. I wasn't going to say this, but um, just a few years ago, I went to a concert at the Royal Albert Hall. And I was super excited. There was this band, the John Wilson Band, who um, they basically um, revive um, music from the musicals back in the 1920s and 30s. And it's like being on a Hollywood film set. I was buzzing. The ticket cost, cost me a fortune. I was wearing my best frock. And I was super excited. And the person that I went with said to me, I don't know why you're so excited. (laughs) I think as we grow older, sometimes, sometimes, we can lose that sense of excitement, that sense of awe, that sense of wonder when faced with beautiful things. Let's be childlike, shall we, in our awe and our wonder of the Lord. You see something beautiful? Linger. When God speaks, linger. When God answers your prayers, dwell on it for days. Get excited by it, that the Lord of heaven and earth would listen to you and act on your behalf. Simon just couldn't handle how good God is. I wonder, when was the last time that we stirred up that sense of awe at how good God has been to us? Imagine the worship that would come out of our hearts if we stirred up wonder. Simon was so impacted by Jesus that he actually asked Jesus to leave him alone. (laughs) Imagine that. But the reality is, it's a far better prayer to pray when we encounter the goodness of God. And it's come nearer, Lord, because I am a sinful person, but I need you. (coughs) Psalm 103, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. Dwell on that for the rest of the day and see what kind of worship 
comes out of your heart. So often our default setting is to believe that we're not good enough for Jesus to love, to bless, to use. And yet Jesus desires to draw us close and even closer to him. Let's listen to how the account finishes. Verses 10 and 11. Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. So Jesus takes away Simon's paralyzing fear and exchanges it for reverence and meekness. Do not be afraid. From now on, it would all be about catching men and not catching fish. And you might want to note, you know, if you're feeling, oh, Sean, you haven't been academic here this morning at all, but the word catch is derived from the Greek word zogron, Z-O-G-R-O-N, meaning to catch something alive, (laughs) catch something alive, not dead. You see, evangelism, sharing the love of God, brings people to life, not into death. Unlike fishing for men... This wouldn't be about uh, fishing for fish, sorry. This would not be about killing and eating, but saving and feeding. Jesus called Simon just as he was. He doesn't tell Simon, go off and get an education. Go study for a while. Sort your life out. Come back and follow me then. Jesus wanted Simon's life immediately. Simon's only resistance to Jesus stemmed from that sense of inadequacy and unworthiness. But having seen the catch of fish, Simon would once again respond immediately out of obedience to Jesus. We're all called to the same level of complete surrender to the will and purposes of God. So let me finish with this. Where is your pulpit? Where will that be this week? Would you be willing to go again? Or actually, are you just a bit beat up, a bit bruised? The best thing you can do in in that instance is just to come to God and sit with him and allow him to restore your soul. With whom will you partner? Jesus is longing to transform this nation, I believe. He wants all people to come to know him. But it's a partnership piece between him and us and others. Can I pray for us? Jesus, there's been the most extraordinary sense of your presence here this morning and we love it we just love that you're here we just love that a pure holy God would come and hang out with us and again Father our hearts are stirred in worship before you you are worthy of praise Father, in this week, we pray that you'd help us to put hands and feet on what you've spoken this morning and not to just hear the word and run away, Lord God, but to um, really put it into action, God. Father, help us to be salt and light this week, to, 
to other people, Lord God, who are perhaps walking in darkness. Father, we resolve that we want to go again in 2023. We want to pursue you with everything that we have. And Father, help us to fight off that superiority spirit that so often makes us think that we're, we're different, we're better, we can do it. <clears throat> Father, that's not what you have taught us in your word at all. So, Father, we resolve to partner with others to see your kingdom come here on earth. In Jesus' name.